0: Welcome to the OKC First podcast.
1: Together, we're learning to do three things.
0: Friendship with God.
2: Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com.
0: Today's scripture comes from James chapter 5, verse 13 through chapter 15. Are any among you suffering? They should pray. Are any cheerful? They should sing songs of praise. Are any among you sick? They should call on the elders of the church and have them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise them up, and anyone who has committed sins will be forgiven. This is the word of the Lord.
2: Amen. Thank you, Stacy, Tamara, everybody. Well, welcome, everybody, to the last of the 10 sermon series on faith is a team sport. The first five tried to answer the question, who are we? These last five, we have tried to answer the question, then what do we do? And so we have, in this series of five sermons, we have tried to make available to you each week a video that tells you pretty specifically, well, here's something that we do, and actually we have more videos than we have Sundays, and so we're actually gonna sprinkle these in over the next couple of weeks. But I want you to see now this really important and really good video uh, that has to do with Kaylee Vaughn and Our Neighborhood Empowered.
0: The mission of Our Neighborhood Empowered is to positively impact Oklahoma City by partnering with and supporting our neighbors. So here at One, when we first started out, we were just a ministry of OKC First Church of the Nazarene, uh, and we decided, you know what, let's get to know our neighborhood. So we went and started having a cookout every Sunday called Outposts, And here, the whole goal was just to give away a hot dog and see what happens. In this area of OKC, we have pockets of poverty. So our families are struggling with um, having adequate healthy food options, having transportation. So what we try to do here at ONE is come alongside the parents and provide things that they might be lacking in that time. So having educational support, having tutoring support, um, helping them with food security, as well as just a place to come and be heard and uh, get their emotional needs met as well. The positive transformations that I see in our ONE kids is their communication skills. They have came a long way with not being able to communicate. um, And I feel like being able to express themselves um, is the most important thing. So them being able to come to ONE, this being a safe place is a place for them to come and being heard. Here at ONE, we are creating and breaking generational cycles in helping our community have access to different resources, tools, and have different opportunities to be able to be successful in life. For the most part, Um, Our transient population only allows us to see a couple years, if not one year, um, with a student. And so the way we're making the impact that I'm seeing is those students are coming back to us now. Two, three, five years later to say, this is what one did for me. Can I come back? Can I be a coach? Can I volunteer? Thank you so much for being there for me when I needed it. I didn't know how much I needed you in that time. So I'm so thankful that not only are they making an impact on us, um, but we are making an impact on them, and we're seeing that now.
2: I hope that you are stirred and you want to volunteer, because if you do want to volunteer, my friend Kaylee Vaughn will be there in the atrium. We need all kinds of volunteers. And something else that Kaylee absolutely did not want me to tell you, uh, she actually has been nominated for several Young Professional awards. That that actually spans this this this, uh, this effort spans the entire city. And Kaylee has been nominated for, I believe, seven different awards as a Young Professional. Yeah, absolutely. So, in admiration for her being nominated so many times, please go volunteer uh, back there at one, and she'll be in the atrium afterwards. We need all kinds of help for all kinds of reasons. Man, I love that we have one. I I spend every Sunday morning um, sipping coffee with and and telling stories mostly about OU football, um, but a lot of them also about OKC First back there with my friend Lee Nichols. And I think for all intents and purposes that what we're doing with one back there is the modern equivalent of straight shooter ministry in so many different ways. And so incredibly grateful. They do such great work and have continued to do great work, even though the pandemic has hamstrung all of us. Uh, So please go back there and and check it out and see how it is that you might be able to help once a month, once ever so often. We need all kinds of help. One uh, takes place. One is important because we are in an interesting spot here in our neighborhood. So south of OKC First, you have subsidized housing, lots of apartment complexes. At one point, and I don't know if this number has changed, but at one point, there were 3,000 different apartments within a five-mile radius of us. That's a lot of apartment living. Those people were disproportionately affected by the pandemic, continue to be disproportionately affected by the pandemic, And so, there is a group of people, it's the Kirkpatricks, it is the Painters, it is the Cowans. it is Kaylee, it is Aaron, who are organizing to take some of these federal relief dollars to these people to help get them up to speed, all the way up to current, at least, where their rent and their utilities are concerned. We are doing the best we can to make these resources available to the people in our neighborhood because they need it. Now, north of... Of OKC first and Oklahoma City, first, yeah, of OKC first and Northwest, Northwest Expressway, it's kind of different. Yes, there are still some, still some apartment complexes that way too, but still, this is a thriving business corridor through here. It is still true that on a given weekday, you can have a 100,000 cars pass us. We have recently seen the, the construction of two relatively nice hotels just down over this way. This is still good real estate, and people are still buying it up, and they are trying to reinvent it and reform it. As a matter of fact, even our own little Lake Hefter golf course is due for a remodel hill pretty soon. This This, friends, is gonna be our little golf course in not too long. That's, That's pretty nice. It's almost as if as a church, we have a foot in two worlds, right? Truth of the matter is, all of us probably live in a couple of different worlds. Truth of the matter is, you probably have this entire universe where you work, but maybe a different universe where you live. Right? Uh, imagine with me a, a very uh, successful woman who runs her own business, let's say. And let's say that she is in sales somehow. And they define success in very particular ways in that business. And imagine she has lots of people who work for her, such that she has to have pretty strong um, outcomes, that sp- benchmarks that they're supposed to attain. Like, she is going to, necessarily, because she lives in that world, expect a high, a high quality and caliber of production. Now, though all of those things are right and appropriate in the work-a-day world, it becomes weird if that becomes the way that she is at home, right? Like, when she comes home, probably isn't a great idea to measure her small children according to their productivity, right? You can see that she literally has a foot in two different worlds. My suspicion is a lot of us are in that situation. I mean, goodness, it may be that when you are with your uh, family members, you have one universe, but if you go to your (laughs) in-laws, it's different. A lot of us have some practice actually in having a foot in two different worlds. The book of James is written to a group of people, and that would include us, who live in two different kingdoms at the same time. Now there is great evidence that James is the brother of Jesus. Another way I could have said that is that James was the biological brother of the resurrected Christ, (laughs) who in his death and resurrection launched a different reality altogether, a different kingdom altogether, And so James would be keenly aware of this new kingdom that has come crashing into the present, but also keenly aware that there is this other force, this other narrative, this other culture, this other kingdom that is actually oppressing and damaging, persecuting Christians. James writes to a group of people who have a foot in two different kingdoms, let's say, two different narratives. James knows that God is not yet finished. James knows, and here's how we have said around here for years, that we are living now in an era perhaps best described as now, but not yet. Now, yes, that we have the reality of the resurrection. Yes, now we have the companionship of the resurrected Christ by the Spirit. Yes, we are living in a new age. We have seen, we have seen the victory of love. And... We are at the same time inundated by all of these images that seem to indicate that there is another kingdom at work, another kingdom out there that is pushing people around, defining success in particular sorts of ways. Scripture often calls this world the kingdom of the air, the world or the kingdom of the air. And in that kingdom, there are particular definitions to words like strong, weak, rich, poor. In the kingdom of the air, the first are first and the last are last. In the kingdom of the air, the one who dies with the most toys wins. But in the kingdom of heaven, which also exists, the first are last and the last are first. And you have different definitions to words like strong, weak, rich, poor. And to be fair, each kingdom seeks to shape you, me, us, into a particular mindset, a particular posture or an even, even a way of life. And James understands that we, and we're actually called the church in the book of James, are caught in the middle, living in this great tension, the great in-between time. James knows that his brother Jesus and his death and resurrection launched this whole new era, a whole new reality, a reality in which love really can win. And James writes that there is a whole new wisdom available to us now because of the person and the victory of Christ and the companionship of the Spirit. But James also acknowledges the pain of it all, acknowledges that God is not yet finished James knows that you and I still today have to navigate this other kind of kingdom, culture, era, or story. Yep, the, old king, the new kingdom has been launched, but the old kingdom is still a present reality. Kingdoms often collide, sometimes at work, sometimes at home. There is overlap, and we do live in that overlap. James writes this letter, packed with Christ's kingdom wisdom, believing that we can live faithfully and successfully here in the great in-between time, the now but not yet of the kingdom of heaven. It is inevitable that you and I are going to be confronted with the old kingdom. It's inevitable. You can actually be a pastor in church and still have to confront on a regular basis the old kingdom. In fact, in fact, here's what we have to be careful of. Recognizing, as we do, that we live with one foot in each kingdom, guys like me and people like you who attend and are important pieces of this thing that we call the church, we have to be careful (laughs) that we don't let too much of that out there seep into our pores in here such that we start to measure people according to their productivity, such that we forget that we have a distinctive definition to a word like rich or poor or strong or weak. We have to make sure that the first, our first kingdom doesn't reach in here, where here, it's supposed to be at least, that the first are last. In other words, we may in fact be double-footed. I'm making up that term right now. You won't find that in the original Greek. But we need to be single-minded. Does that make some sense? The book of James, the New Testament's version of wisdom literature, hopes and believes that we can be single minded even if for some reason we find ourselves to be double or triple footed. Last week this was the last verse in Brit's passage. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double minded. We do have this access to this wisdom from above. Even as we live here in good creation still in need of rescue and redemption and restoration, James calls on us to push back against the wisdom of the world and to make ourselves open to the wisdom from above. And then he calls us to do something which is completely unsexy. Ready? Endure. To be patient. In fact, be patient, therefore, beloved, until the coming of the Lord. Now, the coming of the Lord, here and in other places, especially in the New Testament, the coming of the Lord isn't necessarily talking about the end of the end, the very, very end. In fact, the language here would indicate that Christ, by Christ's spirit, is always in the process of arriving on the scene. What this is really saying here is, be patient because it won't be long. You'll see Christ bubble to the surface. You'll see the kingdom bubble to the surface shortly. Stay with it. Stay with it. Be patient. Endure. It's kind of like this. The farmer waits for the precious crop from the earth, being patient with it until he receives the early and late rains. You also must be patient, strengthening your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. It's never that far away. Be patient. Hang in there. Verse 11, indeed, we call blessed those who showed endurance, and you have heard of the endurance of Job. I tried to text my friend Jeremy Lamb this morning, and we were talking about, I was trying to see if we could bring back the healing altars, and we'll talk about that this, this week, because we're going to be, for the next four weeks, in the book of Job, but somehow it auto-corrected when I, I tried to just dictate it like I do, and I didn't read it, so it auto-corrected to the book of Jobob, which I guess is the Oklahoma equivalent of... Uh, the book of Job. You have heard of the endurance of Job, (laughs) and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Does everybody know that the book of Job is all about suffering? Matter of fact, you may not be able to see this. It's a little bit dark. We're going to spend the next four weeks in the book of Job. Please come back. in a sermon series called The Other Shoe. You'll notice a marked change in the music. You'll notice, by the way, this picture was taken at an, ab- an abandoned circus somewhere in Edmond, Oklahoma. Zach, that's incredible, an abandoned circus. Suffering is a reality. Suffering is a reality because we are in this great in-between time, right? In the now, thanks be to God, But also the not yet, how long, O Lord, of life and reality. There are really several ways in which this sermon launches us into a study of the book of Job. As soon as James says to us, hey, I know that you're living with the foot in two kingdoms. This is going to be tough. Here's what you ought to do. Here's what you really ought to do. You need to be (laughs) patient and endure. Again, unsexy, but real and true. Listen, over the next few weeks, four in particular, I would invite you to come to church and to not leave your suffering at home. That's that's not what real faith is, leaving our suffering at home, acting like it doesn't happen. Actually, faith, because we live in this great in-between time, in the tension and the tension that exists between the now and the not yet kingdom, that is the place where suffering's gonna happen, and I'm here to tell you, and Job will tell us time and again, we are not alone, even when it hurts. So what do we do? What does this patient endurance look like? James has a very simple answer. Here's what it looks like. Simple for me to say, not as easy for any of us, me included, to actually embody. James says, well, here's how you patiently endure. You ready? you pray. Now, before I get into all of this, uh, hear, me, hear me say this. Let me go back one here. Let me say this. Prayer is difficult. And let's, let's acknowledge, prayer is difficult because sometimes you pray for something and it doesn't happen. And sometimes you're praying for something that's really important, really good. And we all know of stories in which people suffered and perhaps lost the battle to the disease, or lost the business or lost the marriage, even though somebody, and maybe lots of somebodies were praying. Then what do we do with prayer? Can I, can I tell you a little bit about the, the transformation that this terminology prayer has undergone in my own life? I, I think for a while. Without really reflecting on it, I just heard pray. And I'm, I'm a good firstborn, so I just, all right, I'll pray. You, you point me in the right direction, I'll pray. But then, like you, things started, the evidence to the contrary started to really bother me. And over a period of time, I feel like that my definition of this word prayer got more and more and more narrow, you know, the things that I can defend. But now it's doing this again. Prayer is, is, but it is more than what I do at an altar. Prayer absolutely is, but it's more than what we do together as we pray the Lord's Prayer. Prayer is, but is more than just my having conversation with God. It is all of those things, but it is so much more than that. You ever read that verse pray at all times, pray without ceasing, and immediately felt guilty because you weren't? Are none of you Nazarene? Come on. (laughs) Here's the thing. Yeah, that that verse (laughs) will quickly defeat you if you have a narrow understanding of what prayer is. But if prayer is living in this larger kingdom, and becoming increasingly aware that you live in this larger kingdom, even though the not yet part is right there to see as well, if you recognize that all of that fits into this larger definition of praying, then I can come closer to understanding what is being said when I'm being told, pray without ceasing. In other words, there are a lot more things going into this word prayer than I had before. Join me on that journey, especially as we suffer through a series on suffering. Verse 13, are any among you suffering? They should pray. You have access to this other kingdom. You have access to the victory of the cross. Are any of you suffering? Access that victory and pray. Are any cheerful? Well, then you should sing songs of praise. By the way, I don't think the author believes that that is somehow something other than praying. It fits into this larger category. Are any among you sick? They should call for the elders of the church and have them pray over them. These elders are the people who should know that we are living in these two kingdoms at one time. The good news is that we have access to this other kingdom. The one in which love wins. The one in which we have the resurrection. The one in which God comes looking for us all the time. The one in which God's mind about you is made up. And the news is... Gather these elders up who get that and have them pray. Anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick. The Lord will raise them up and anyone who has committed sins will be forgiven. Now, we who recognize that we live in competing, colliding kingdoms will experience everything everything differently yes we will still be confronted with illness and injury everybody faces illness and injury at some point but we do so with hope because of the resurrection and the new kingdom that now exists as a result with a foot in each kingdom prayer is the way that we navigate the not yet part of today there is healing available New life is available. Forgiveness is available all because of this Jesus character. And yet, you and I all know this, good people get sick and pass away. Good people fail morally and miserably, and some of them consistently. Yes, hear me. I can't explain it. There is suffering that we'll explore more and more over the next month. There is never not hope. There is always hope. Hope that God can do something. Hope that God will do something with the pain and the failures and the deathly situations. Something that only God can do. Prayer is how we access that hope and bring it to bear on this broken era and failing kingdoms. Prayer is the way that we can have feet in two worlds, but a single-mindedness that will allow us to look and be different. In our single-mindedness, we recognize the value of inclusion. Now, hear this. When we are of a a singular sort of mind... Yes, it does mean that on an individual basis, we will have a tendency to understand challenges. It's the reason someone like Paul can say, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever, or, or James can say, whenever you face trials of any kind. That's crazy talk, right? Yeah, what I'm talking about here does start to get us that way. If you can understand that you live with a foot in the kingdom of resurrection, then it gives you a different vantage point on the kingdom of deathliness that we see all around us. So yes, it does come to bear on our individual lives of faith. But, friends, we miss, I would tell you, the larger part of the gospel if we only think about these things in individualistic sorts of terms. We are a gathering of people. I hope everyone's ready for this. We are meant to be a gathering of people whose collected single mind causes us to look different and be different than all of the people who are citizens first and foremost of a different kingdom out there. Out there, competition, envy, survival of the fittest makes some sense, out there. In here, while they are about exclusion, you know, just to make sure we keep it strong and pure, we, friends, are about inclusion. While they, out there, might be about getting rid of or distancing ourselves from the weak and the broken, in here, this is where I hope at least they find a home. So it's not just that I'm supposed to be wired differently when I am single-minded, It's that we, as we all are single-minded together, we are supposed to be different than all of them. Does everybody understand that? That it's never been enough to be a Christian on an individual basis and then just to turn a blind eye to what it means to be the body of Christ? Who are we? What do we do? Our single-mindedness recognizes the value and power of inclusion, even and especially when the competing kingdoms and cultures out there might exclude for the purpose of self-preservation. The sick, excluded. The sitting failures, excluded, in order that purity can be maintained. Again, I would say to us, I'm grateful to my friend, John Martin, who continues to keep our Celebrate Recovery afloat, although it's online right now. Celebrate recovery where you can come and confess your brokenness and your failures. Why do we have to have a separate program for that? I'm glad we do, but when did it stop being normal that folks could come and pool their failures? That's what it means to be the people of God. We don't need forgiveness if you can't also have confession. The next verses are meant to be revolutionary probably should be sensed as revolutionary, especially in a context in which the outside culture of survival of the fittest seeps into our pores and here and changes who we are and who we're supposed to be. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. Man, those people who have access to the kingdom of heaven, when those people pray, when they live in that realm and cause that realm to come to bear on this realm, that is a powerful thing. And he says, now take a look at Elijah. Now, Elijah, I know, is this big prophet, and you all sing songs about Elijah, but you need to know something. Elijah was no more human than you are. He was a human being just like us, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain if you just go back and take a look in 1 Kings. This is an incredible thing. The people of God were wandering away from God. And so Elijah prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed. He prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then the people finally figured out what was going on, so he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth yielded its harvest. In other words, James is saying, look, and listen, if Elijah can partner with God like that, how much more can the people of God, known as the body of Christ, partner with God as they pray? I really thought there would be a better amen there, but there wasn't. How about this, verse 19, my brothers and sisters, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and is brought back by another, you should know that whoever brings back a sinner from wandering will save the sinner's soul from death and will cover over a multitude of sins. Listen, being a Christian is a hard way to be alive. I mean, there are a lot of days, I sense this too, there are a lot of days in which it might be a little bit easier to be a part of that kingdom out there than the one in here that has very unique definitions to words like strong and weak and rich and poor. In here, we have a very specific fighting style and it's kind of not to fight. Out there, that fighting style at times makes more sense to me, amen? So it's easy. It's easy for me, and sometimes it's easier for me to think about being a citizen out there. It makes perfect sense to me that there would be people who would wander away, especially after 18 months worth of pandemic. Can I ask you a question? If you still understand yourself, and I hope you do, as a citizen, first and foremost, of the kingdom of the resurrected Christ, can you help us bring back some folks who have wandered away? Well, that's, that's not really my, that's really not really my responsibility. Yeah, ex- except that it, it is. You know, those of us who live and have access to this kingdom here, this particular kind of wisdom, within that wisdom, there is a love that asks this question, okay, now what will love do? And do I have enough wisdom embodied as love enough courage to say to my brother or sister, man, it's time to come home. The sick and those who fail, no one is left out. No one is without hope. The prayer of the community that gathers in solidarity to support its sick, and by confessing its sins to one another, is already a victory over the world which defines itself by envy and competition. This is how N.T. Wright says it. That is, after all, what Christian prayer and, for that matter, Christian sacraments are all about. Heaven and earth meet in the Spirit whenever someone calls on the name of the Lord. And it means what it means, and it does what it does because God's new time has broken into the continuing time of this sad, old, broken world so that the person praying stands with one foot in the place of trouble, sickness, and sin, and the other foot in the place of healing and forgiveness of hope, prayer, then, brings the latter to bear on the former." So many of our liturgical movements are meant to remind us that we do have a foot in two different worlds. I miss the times around the altar and we will get back to that I especially miss the times around the healing altar when we do something as strange as this we we actually here and if you're new here please this is what we do hopefully it doesn't seem too weird to you we take this oil and with this oil we trace the shape of a cross in someone's head someone has come down to a healing altar for healing and we, we have said this for years and years around here. This is healing that perhaps is of a physical nature, but it doesn't have to be just that. It could be mental, it could be emotional, it could be relational. All kinds of aches and pains are welcome at the healing altar. And so we take this oil and we, we dab our fingers in it and then we trace the sign of the cross on the person's forehead that we're praying for. It's not medicine. It's not medicine. It's supposed to be a reminder and we have access to a different kind of kingdom. It's kind of hard to wipe off. I don't know if you've noticed this. We use oil when we do the ashes on Ash Wednesday. And it's not really easy. It takes two or three swipes, <laughs> two or three passes to get it off. That's on purpose. This oil is not easy to wipe off. It sticks to you. It's clingy. I want it to remind you. I want it to remind you that you are not far from God. Even when we gather around the table, I I want us to remember that this doesn't make a whole lot of sense if there isn't another kingdom that we're testifying to. Little bits and little sips. that only makes sense if we are testifying to something beyond us. Even the benediction moment, right? What I'm saying to you is, hey, there is something here. There's something here because God draws us here but there is something here that I want to make sure that you take with you wherever you go, and I want to receive and then communicate this blessing to you because you're gonna go into the other world. Your feet are gonna be in that other world soon enough, sure enough. So many of our liturgical movements rehearse us to live with feet in both worlds we're approaching one of those times right now. So Jeffrey, go ahead and come on up if you would. And if you are out there and if you have some elements, would you please pass those out to people who don't yet have them? Because we need to be reminded right now that we are we are living now in between the times. So if you would, raise your hand. If you don't have these elements, then I'll have somebody bring them to you right now. couple right here. Anybody else? Again, I would say to you, this is not exactly how we like to do it, and we will get back to, eventually we'll get back to how we do like to do it. All taking from one cup, all taking from one giant piece of lots of bread. But this is what we have right now, and it'll do the trick. Here's what I hope happens today. Then, in the course of this that we call a meal, <laughs> in the course of this that we call a supper, that you'll be alerted and reminded all over again that you have a foot in two different worlds. You are keenly aware that you have a foot in a broken world. But man, don't forget that you also have a foot in the world where Christ reigns as our King. Heavenly Father, bless these elements. And with this simple piece of bread and this small sip from the cup, remind us, God, that we are living in the tension, in the now but not yet. We are, in fact, keenly aware of all the different aches and pains that we brought with us into the sanctuary. All you have to do is turn on your TV and you see all the other aches and pains that confront and afflict us as a people. Sometimes God we forget that we have a foot in the world that you have launched in the resurrection. And so with this piece of bread and with this sip would you remind us of this new reality that we have access to this reality of grace that came looking for us that always comes looking for us that is always close to bubbling to the surface around us. If We have eyes to see it and ears to hear it. So bless these elements, Lord, and open our eyes and our ears and our imagination to your reality. It was on the night that he was betrayed that our Savior took bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. And every time you eat of it, remember me. And so now, to be reminded that you have a foot in the kingdom of heaven, would you now take and break and eat? The same way, after dinner he took the cup and held it up before them and said, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant blood shed for you. This only makes sense in this particular reality, in this particular world. And so now, having drunk in memory, having eaten in memory, may we now drink in hope. So now take and drink. Heavenly Father, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray the way James thinks of prayer. Teach us to pray in a way that enlivens our imaginations and gives us eyes to see and ears to hear so that we can have more and more faith that we are in fact living in between two worlds with one foot in one and another foot in your reality. Teach us to pray, Lord, so that we can bring your kingdom to bear in all these other circumstances and situations. Teach us to pray, God, so that we can be enough, yes, as individual believers, but teach us to pray, Lord, so that we as a church continue to be an alternative reality. And now, God, as we pray these prayers of confession, Give us the courage to think back across the week and to notice the times when we have fallen short, to notice the times when we have not sufficiently acknowledged that we do, in fact, have a foot in the kingdom of the resurrected Christ. And now, allow God to drift your mind across this last week. And perhaps you have not been as aware as you could have been or should have been of this new reality of the resurrection. I turn it over to Kristen. May the Almighty God have mercy on us. Forgive us all our sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. Strengthen us in all goodness, and by the power of the Spirit, keep us in eternal life.
1: Continuing in this time of prayer, we want to take a moment to pray for some folks in the life of our church. We ask that you would continue to be with Glenn and Betty Fain as they are each recovering from recent medical procedures. We pray that you would bring your healing touch in both of their lives and thank you for the way that you have already worked in and through them. We pray for all who love Glenn and Betty, that they would feel your comforting presence and peace. We pray that you would be with Jack Johnson as he recovers from a recent foot surgery. We also ask for your healing touch in his life and pray that you would give him strength and we pray for Clara as she loves and cares for Jack and pray that you would also give her your peace and strength. We pray for your continued healing touch in the life of Bonnie Goodwin and ask that you she would feel your presence in your life. We pray that also that you would be near to Matt and Zoe and Ellie as they love and care for her. We pray that you would be with those who have been affected by cancer Specifically, Angela Adams, Dr. Dennis Bratcher, and Margaret Farmer, Katie Smith's mother. We pray for your healing touch in their lives and pray for your comforting presence for all who love and care for them. And right now, we're gonna take just a few moments to pray specifically for those who have been affected by COVID 19. We were talking in Sunday school this morning about how many people we all know who have been directly affected. And so we pray that for those who have lost loved ones, those who are sick, and those who are caring for people who are struggling with this illness. So in the next few moments, I encourage you to pray for someone in your life who has been impacted by COVID. pray that you would move and breathe in our lives. We ask that you would fill us with your peace and love and help us to be people who reflect your grace to those around us. Help us to be people who lean into and live out this prayer that you taught us to pray. Let's pray the Lord's prayer together. The words will be on the screen. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your